you turn to your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 6, I um, just want to share a great opportunity we have this upcoming week. Um, I'm going to read this from, uh, on behalf of our missions committee. Uh, when the word slavery is mentioned, it brings up many different images, often back to the 1800s. People such as William Wilberforce come to mind in his fight to abolish the slave trade, which took over 20 years, leading to the Slavery Abolition Act of 1833. He saw man's inhumanity to man for himself and made a decision to work for change. And while raising awareness about the horrific realities of slavery, he said, you may choose to look the other way, but you can never say again that you did not know. Although the act of um, although the act made slavery illegal, it did not stop it. And slavery is happening today. Human beings are being bought and sold as commodities. It is estimated that there are over 30 million enslaved people in the world today. Many of these vulnerable individuals who are bought and sold by criminals to be used and abused. Ali Ussery has been involved in aid and development ministry in Eastern Europe since 1990. And for the past four years, has focused on anti-slavery human trafficking work in the UK. She is now working with law enforcement and the UK Anti-Slavery Commissioner to develop awareness raising and survivor support strategies in the UK and Romania. Ali has been associated with ELAM Mission since 1991 through the missions outreach in Romania. And she and her husband, Nate, are graduate and associates of Bethany International in Bloomington, Minnesota, and we're going to be blessed to have Allie here this next week, and there'll be great opportunities for you um, to come alongside to hear her testimony, to pray with her, um, would be a great encouragement. Thursday night, um, this Thursday night, April 6th, we'll be at the Swenson's home. Uh, if you're not sure who they are, they're right over here, um, and they'll be glad to give you more information and directions. This Friday, April 7th, and um, she'll be sharing a seminar, and then a women's brunch on um, Saturday morning. And then next Sunday, she'll be sharing a little bit. So we just hope you'll take advantage of that uh, to come and hear about this, this incredible ministry she has um, and also allow you and I to develop a little bit more of a worldview and what's going on in our world. Thank you, missions um, team, for putting that together for us. First Timothy chapter 6, what a, a great text as we continue to consider what it means to be a steward to have a lifestyle of a steward. I'm grateful for the scriptures that speaks to you and I no matter where we're at in our life, no matter where we're at uh, in relation uh, to finances and resources. I'm going to be reading verses 6 of 1 Timothy 6 through verse 19 if you'd follow along. But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. If we've brought nothing into the world, so we, can take not, we, can, we cannot take anything out of it either. And if we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many a pain. But flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called, and you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate, 
that you keep the commandment without stain or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will bring about at the proper time. For he who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in inapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the many things it teaches us. But Lord, even more than just providing instruction, it brings transformation. As your Holy Spirit takes your words, God, change us. Change our mind, change our perspective, our viewpoint, that we'd look at our life the way you do. We'd respond to what your Spirit says to us in these moments. It's your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. We... Uh, have talked a couple weeks already on what it means to be a steward and, and if there's an overarching truth that continues to weave its way through each of these messages, it's this, whenever we begin to think like an owner, that's a big red flag. Uh, we're not the owner, God owns it all, we're stewards of that which he's entrusted to us. It's interesting, we tend to forget about this connection between spirituality and finances. In Luke Chapter 3, verse 8 through 14, John the Baptist is preaching to the crowds. Different groups were there, and they asked him, John, what should we do to bear fruit of repentance? John the Baptist answers him. He says, first of all, everyone should share their clothes and food with the poor. He then goes on to say that tax collectors should not pocket extra money. He then goes on to say soldiers should be content with their wages and not extort. Each answer relates to resources, finances, and possessions. The thing is, no one asked John about that. They didn't ask him about that. All they asked was what they should do to demonstrate the fruit of repentance. What's the point? John the Baptist couldn't talk about spirituality without talking about money and possessions because there's a connection. Luke 19, 1 through 10, describes Zacchaeus, a wee little man was Zacchaeus, a tax collector. We're told he was rich. Zacchaeus is being welcomed by Jesus, and the text says when they saw it, saw Jesus welcoming this tax collector, this sinner is what they call him, they were irate. But we're told there's a significant statement Zacchaeus makes. He says, Lord, look, I'm going to sell half my possessions and give them to the poor. And Lord, if I've defrauded anybody, I'm going to give back to them four times the amount. And Jesus said, today salvation's come to your home. You see, there was a link between spirituality and Zacchaeus' approach to finances and possessions. It proved his heart had been changed because there's a link between spirituality and how you and I handle possessions. There's this fundamental connection Scripture makes between our spiritual lives 
and how we think about money and handle our resources. And you have in your next step a passage to read this week which talks about that same thing, that fundamental connection. I hope you'll read that. It's a powerful passage. In chapter, back to 1 Timothy 6, in the first five verses, Paul tells Timothy that there are those who misuse Scripture and they twist it. And part of that twisting is they teach that, you know what? As we became more spiritual, God's going to bless us. And that godliness is, a, is, a, is like an avenue to get more, to get more money, to get richer. Paul tells Timothy that those who think wrongly say godliness means more material gain. You might say, well, that was back then. Oh, no, no. There's a prosperity gospel being taught all across America, which says it's God's will that you be rich. That if you just by faith will follow these things, God will pour out his monetary blessing on you because that's his will for everybody. That's erroneous, that's heresy. That's not what Scripture teaches. It certainly isn't here what Paul, or what Paul teaches Timothy. And so we got to be careful about what's being taught. You see, in this text, Paul wants to give Timothy the right viewpoint of what it means to be a steward. And so he addresses three categories, and we're all in one of them. So you, we might as well all pay attention, right? We're all in one of them. Um, the first viewpoint he gives in verses 6 through 8 is the viewpoint of those who are not rich. Those who don't have financially great gain. Those who aren't rich. It gives a proper perspective and a viewpoint on what it is to be rich, but what it is also not to be rich. He starts in verse 6 about this viewpoint by saying godliness actually is a means of great gain when it's accompanied by contentment. Well, it helps to understand what he means by godliness. Some thoughts I think that sum up this idea is this authentic walk with God, authentically walking with God, a passion and a pursuit for holy living or Christ-like living, it, a person who takes God seriously. It's a person who pursues God's ways and who has a passion to please God. Paul says the one person who does this, who pursues godliness with great contentment, well, what does the word contentment mean? It's this inner satisfaction. You could call it an inner sufficiency which keeps us at peace regardless of our outward circumstances. It's a frame of mind that no matter where or what is going on on the outside, there's an inner satisfaction in Christ, an inner contentment. Paul says when there's godliness and it's married with contentment, notice what he says, there's great gain. If you want to be super rich in the scriptural sense, pursue godliness and have great contentment and you'll have great gain. So for those who aren't rich, if you want to be rich, Paul says, have the right viewpoint because this is what it means to be rich. Rich in the things of God. When, when, when there's contentment, when one does not itch for more and more, when one's life is not dominated by shopping for and acquiring material things, we can have contentment. Whenever we think about getting something material or getting more of it, when we think that will answer life's needs and that that will bring us security, we lack contentment. And whenever we deeply grieve at material loss, it's a good flag that 
a good flag that helps us to stop and think, am I really content? Listen to what Paul wrote in Philippians 4, verse 11 through 13. Paul says, not that I speak from want, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. You see, contentment is something we learn. It doesn't, which, by implication, which means it doesn't come overnight. It's something we learn. He says, I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I've learned, here's that word again, I've learned the secret of being filled and go hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. We'll stop there. Paul learned how to be content. He knew this type of contentment. And so as he talks to Timothy, he knew what he was talking about. It's hard to be content, though, isn't it? Because of our consumer culture that continually feeds us, especially you look at the commercials, what are they trying to tap into? Our discontent. In other words, look at your life and be discontent because you don't have this car. Or you don't have this. Or you don't have this. And they're trying to feed in to this idea of being discontent. But God says, no, wait a minute. If you want to be super rich, if you want to have great gain, marry godliness with contentment. If godly and content, then you'll have great gain. That's what it means to be biblically really rich. For too many, they're missing one or the other, or both. And in either case, if there's no passion to please God or no decision to be content, if either is missing, you'll be poor no matter how much money you have. So Paul's trying to get at because it won't fix what's wrong. All amount of money and resources won't fix what's wrong on the inside. And so godliness plus contentment equals great gain. And you could say, take away one of those out of the equation and you're going to be very poor, spiritually speaking. Money can buy you a bed, but it won't buy you a good night's sleep, somebody said. Money can buy you the good life, but it certainly will never buy you eternal life. And so keep its proper perspective. For those of you who are not rich, understand what it really means to be rich. This equation must affect our viewpoint. Godliness plus contentment equals great gain. You and I will never be a faithful steward without this viewpoint. It's significant. Look at verse 7. He kind of takes a little different angle on it. He says, for we've bought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. When you were born... You had no pennies. You were born penniless. You didn't even have pockets coming out of the womb to put your pennies into. You came into this world with nothing. And you know what? When you die, nothing. Not taking anything with you. The only thing we can do is send it ahead. And that's a great reward. And so Paul's making a practical thing. You can be content because you've been blessed. You didn't bring anything with you when you entered this world. God has blessed you. Be grateful. We can be content, is what he's trying to hammer home. We can be content where we are because from everything from birth to death is on loan to us. And you know what's interesting to me? Gold is a precious commodity here on earth. In heaven, God just uses it to pave his streets. <laughs> I mean, that's perspective. And so you and I need to understand what it really means to be rich. It's an important perspective. There's an orientation, I think, he gets to verse 8. And if you have food and covering with these, we shall be content. It doesn't mean we don't try to grow 
to succeed, but it does mean we don't whine and complain when we don't get what we want. If you have food, if you have clothing, if you have shelter, God doesn't want us fussing and complaining. He wants us to be grateful that we have those things. Now, for the, some of those I know have gone to Haiti and uh, missions trips, we've gone to Mexico multiple times, and I remember our first one in Matamoros, and we built a house. I was telling my kids the other day, this particular woman and her, um, I think she had three or four children, had a, just kind of a little um, enclosure made of old billboard signs, and then her kitchen was a little fire ring, a stone fire thing, and that was it, dirt floor. That was their home. And we built her a little, little home, probably half of the stage, if that, um, and that, that became her home. But she was such a happy person. I mean, she was amazing and just filled with the joy of the Lord and, and just really enjoyed being with us. And you could tell enjoyed life. And why? Because she was content. She had food and she had clothing and she had shelter. With that, she was content. So God wants you and I to be content with the minimum. And then we'll be in a position perhaps to be blessed with more. Proverbs 30, verse 8 through 9. There's a lot of wonderful Proverbs that really give perspective. This particular one, it says, Keep deception and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that's my portion, unless I be full and deny thee and say, Who is our Lord? Who is the Lord? Or lest I be in want and steal and profane the name of my God. Solomon's saying, God, don't make me too rich or too poor. Because I don't want to forget you. I don't want to turn away from you. And that's a perspective. God will never bless you and I so much that we don't need him anymore. If we get to the point we trust our riches too much, perhaps we're going to be in trouble. Hebrews 13, 5 through 6, God does not promise to supply our greed, but our need. To be godly with contentment is surely cross-cultural, that's for sure. But if you want to be super rich, spiritually speaking, pursue godliness and learn contentment. That's the equation in God's economy. In verse 9 through 11, he hits a different viewpoint. The viewpoint isn't for those who aren't rich. The viewpoint's for those who want to be rich. Who here would like to be rich? Yeah, some of you are like, should I? I don't know, should I put my hand up or not? Okay, it's time to be honest. Okay. Some of us would like this very much, and maybe some days more than others. Um, but first, let's, let's get it out on the table. Money's not the issue here. The issue is not having money. The issue is having a passion to get money. That's the issue. Um, I, I just heard recently a story uh, about this man. Have you ever seen one of them, them, them like, they got a toys in them in the store, and there's a claw? You kind of run it, and it's try, you try to grab the toy. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay. Yeah, Julie probably does it every time, yeah, in Walmart. And, and this story is about this guy, 35-year-old man, last year, at least according to the story, he got 15,000 of those toys with that little, that little claw thing. 15,000. First of all, who has that kind of time to sit in a store and get all them little things out of there? And I got to believe there's some store owners looking at him say, you think it's time you get out of here as they keep replenishing this claw thing. It, it wasn't enough. Obviously couldn't be if you got 15,000 of these things. And uh, you see, there's such a desire for us to get more. The desire for riches is far more dangerous than the riches themselves. Not only the poor who want to be rich, is he talking about here, it's the rich who want to be richer, is what he's talking about. In verse 9, you see it there. 
But those who want to get rich fall into temptation, a snare, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. That's a sober warning. Verse 10, for the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. And here's some words I got marked. Some by longing for it. There's the issue. A passion for more. They want to get rich. And for those who want to be rich, Paul puts up a caution flag. This isn't a caution for those who want to progress again. It's not, not wrong to, to want to invest or, or succeed. It's not what he's talking about. He's saying if your passion is to get more and more and more and you're never content, that's who he's talking to. He's saying you're, out of, you're, you're not looking as a steward. You're seeing it all wrong. There's something really wrong when there's such a strong devotion to money. Risk increases with devotion to acquire more and more. I don't know if have you ever taken one of those tests that kind of tries to determine you know, how long you'll live, those type of things. Um, I once came across this test. They, they try to predict a person's lifespan, and, uh, barring an accident. And it talks about statistical pro, uh, probabilities. If you smoke, it subtracts two years. If you exercise, it adds five, those type of things. I don't know if you've ever come across this. I remember one particular one that was interesting to me. It said if you make more than $50,000 salary a year, subtract two years. Isn't that interesting? Apparently in their studies, they found that those who make a certain amount tend to worry about that amount. Uh, I found that very intriguing. Um, to set our hearts on earthly riches not only deprives God of the glory, deprives others of help, ourselves of a reward, but also destines us to perpetual insecurity. In other words, there's no upside here that Paul's talking about for those who desire to be rich. There's a warning in Ecclesiastes 5.12. Sleep of the laborer sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of a rich man permits him no sleep. In other words, the more you have, the more you have to worry about. So there's a caution flag here. And some, I guess there's three warnings he really gives in verses 10, 9 and 10. One, the love of all money is deceptive. There's a, it's, there's a temptation that we encounter that will trip us up. It won't satisfy it's a lie in our culture that says you need more, you need more, you need more. you got to have this. We've got to be careful of that. It's the one time it's okay to talk to the TV and say you're lying to me. It's okay. You're not going crazy. Then you're just being aggressively uh, discerning. Um, a love of money can lead to destruction. If there's nothing wrong with money, why could it destroy and ruin? Simply put, gold's become God. And according to Scripture, idolatry is a grave sin in God's eyes. The love of money is dangerous. Let me ask you this. How much time do you think about money compared to how much time you think about God? Ooh, quiet in here. It's hard, isn't it? It really takes intentional action to gear our minds towards God and what he wants us to do in life and to keep all the finances and resources in perspective. In verse 11 is a great contrast. He says, Timothy, instead of pursuing those things, instead of pursuing riches, pursue godliness. Pursue Christ-like living. And he gives a list, an important list. Look at the list, verse 11. But flee from these things, you man, woman of God. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Let that be your pursuit. Let that be your focus as you go through life. 
Matter of fact, he says it's probably going to be really tough because you need to have a soldier's mentality. Fight the good fight of the faith. It's not going to be easy. You're going to have to roll up your sleeves and like a good soldier, recognize you're in a battle and fight for this mindset in this pursuit. So Paul's talked about those, talked to those who aren't rich, talked to those who want to be rich. In verse 17 through 19, he talks to those who are rich. Look what he says in verse 7. Struck those who are rich in this present world. There's not hiding anything here. Here's who he's writing to. It's this idea of abundance of excess. That's what he's talking about. Paul commands Timothy to be different from those who lived for riches and material gain. In biblical days, if you were rich, it meant you had discretionary funds. So if we were to use a biblical definition, we'd all be rich. More than likely, have a discretionary fund of some kind. And so he's talking to the rich. And instead of pride and riches, Timothy, Paul tells Timothy that we're going to have a different pursuit, one of godliness, and he breaks it down right there. And then he has this final word to those who are rich, that they're to have a certain perspective. First of all, he says, who are rich in, notice the words, in this present world. Keep, keep the perspective. You might be rich here. That's not really what's most important. So handle what here in light of what's there forever. He says, rich. And I want to say this. If God has uniquely blessed you, you see, if he's blessed you with more resources and you have more money in a bank account, he's blessed your investments and your business expansions, there's nothing wrong with that. If you've worked hard and expanded your business or maybe invested in the right stocks, there's nothing wrong with that. But Paul does give a warning if that's you. In other words, there's a danger to avoid here. He says, don't be conceited. First of all, don't think that you pulled that off. God's blessed you. But there's another thing he has in mind here. Let's follow along. Struck those who are in this present world not to be conceited. Conceited has this idea of a mindset in view of other people. It's to look down at other people. It's to say, I have this car, you have that car duct taped together. <laughs> You're a lesser person. It's pretty easy to do, unfortunately. To look, it's not wrong to be rich, but if you, if you develop an attitude, there's everything wrong with that. Driving a nice car, stylish clothes, a big house, there's nothing wrong with that. But if you begin to think you're better than anybody else, now we got a problem. Just, just the person's blessed by God. Don't look down on other people. You should be more humble, actually, because you've been more blessed. And there's a warning here. Don't be conceited. It was interesting. I heard about this... Uh, a young model actress who was just kind of coming into the industry, if that's what you would call it. And, uh, and she just made mention in the article, she shops at Goodwill. That was interesting. She got ridiculed by some other more famous. What, what is, it's the rich looking down the nose. It's this idea of being conceited. You should be humble, not conceited. You've been blessed by God. So don't set your hope on riches. Listen to some of these scripture. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gave you wealth, or is giving your power to make wealth. Proverbs eleven twenty eight. He who trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like green leaves. Proverbs 23, 4 through 5. Do not weary yourself to gain wealth. Cease from your consideration of it. And when you set your eyes on it, it is gone. 
For wealth certainly makes itself like wings, like an eagle that flies towards the heavens. Next time you open your wallet or purse, envision money flying away. That's kind of the image he gives. It's going to one day. Riches are from God. Don't be conceited. Don't trust in them, because it could surely leave you. Fly away. Verse 17c, I think there's another thought in here. It mentions at the end, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Don't let others make you feel guilty, though, if you've been blessed by God. If you have a lot of resources, don't feel guilty. God's blessed you. He even uses the word enjoy it. Enjoy his blessing, I think, is what he's saying. He's about to balance that here in a, in a moment, in the next verse. But don't let anyone feel guilty because God's blessed you. Give him the praise. Start, I mean, it's, it's from him. Scripture's full of those exhortations to remember that. It's from him. And he balances it with verse 18, though. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Don't think because you have so much you're too big to serve, too big to help, too big to embrace the hurting. If you're going to be rich, I think he's saying be rich in good works, be rich in being generous, be rich in being ready to share. And there's freedom in living this way. Randy Alcorn once said, God doesn't bless us to raise our standard of living, but to raise our standard of giving. Well put. That's the idea I think Paul's saying here. Instruct those who are rich, who God has blessed, to be a blessing to other people. To enjoy that blessing, but also to be an instrument, a conduit, to pour out that blessing into other people's lives. There's great freedom in living that way, with open hands and open hearts. Think of the future when you give. You can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead. Ahead of you by investing in eternal things. And God gives us great opportunities to share, and to bless others. I was having a conversation with somebody a couple weeks ago, and, and uh, we were talking about uh, a couple things, but one of them is this place you sit in right now, right here, this sanctuary. It's here because people were generous. People shared. People invested in you. That's We're enjoying this because people invested in people. We, sh- we enjoy this great blessing of other people. You're going to have a chance coming up to be that same type of blessing to some other people. As we begin to talk and look forward to a new facility, you and I are going to have a great chance to be generous to share and to give so that generations when we're long gone, should Jesus tarry, there will be those sitting over there because we gave now. And so it's not just the new facility, but there's many other opportunities to give in which we can invest in people's lives Paul saying, be rich in giving and sharing and blessing people. God always blesses kingdom giving. God will bless your giving. And to the rich, God says, I've given you the joy. I've given you an opportunity to be a blessing to many people. So as you sit here, you might not be rich. If you're honest, you might desire to be rich. Or you could be rich. Either one of those. God says, I have a perspective I want you to live out to view your life. God's word speaks to us. He calls you and I to pursue godliness, to live with contentment, to be stewards who are generous. And no matter where we're at, the reality is there's one thing we'll all face, a little clothes on a box. 
We'll all be in a coffin. It'll be too late to give then. It'll be too late to share. It'll be too late to invest in the kingdom. It'll too, be too late to bless others the way perhaps we even wanted to. So let's have God's viewpoint now. Let's live with God's perspective now. To pursue godliness, to choose an attitude of contentment, to live with generous hands in the humble heart. It will prevent you and I from wasting our life and resources here as you and I journey through this life. Let's pray. Father, I'm, I never cease to be amazed how your word, man, it just speaks to us in such relevant ways. As we look at it, we can't help but see ourselves. We can't help but look in a mirror. Your word reflects back to us those truths we need to see. And I pray, Holy Spirit, you continually give us ears to hear. The eyes to look at life the way you do. Give us a heart that longs for you above all else. Give us a passion to walk with you and to know you more intimately day in and day out. Lord, give us a, a strong desire, a growing desire to reflect you to those in our home and our neighbors and those we encounter day in and day out to pursue godliness. Lord, help us to never forget all we have has come from your hands. Help us to be content. And Lord, help us to experience the joy and increasing measure of being a conduit of your blessings so as to bless other people's lives. So Lord, in all things, as we live these, this way and live life with this perspective, you would be glorified and honored and lives would be drawn to you. In Jesus' name I pray.